0: We are looking at John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. And this is the well known account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And it's one of the most wonderful chapters in the Bible. It's a chapter that is full of spiritual riches and one that I hope God will open to us in special ways this morning. And I know that you're going to find it helpful to have your own copy of Scripture open. And to be reading along with me as we look at John 11, verses 1 through 44. And having moved on from that Good Shepherd discourse, John now writes, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with the ointment and washed his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. And you'll notice in your Bible, there's a little note. He was indignant is a more accurate translation. He was filled with rage in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and His face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind Him and let Him go. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God endures forever. One of the frustrating things in the Christian life, and I'm sure if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know this. One of the frustrating things in the Christian life is when we pray for things that we know are good things. When we pray even according to God's will in His Word for those things that He has promised to do for His people, and yet the Lord delays in answering that prayer. Um, that is often a great cause of consternation for Christians. We we wonder, does the Lord hear me? We wonder, why has God said in His Word? And why has Jesus said in His Word, whatever you ask uh, in my Father's name, in my name, according to His will will be done for you, and we ask. And we cry out with sincere hearts, and the Lord Jesus delays in answering those prayers, or then He answers them in ways that we would not have foreseen. And that is a common experience for us, and it was a common experience here as we look at John chapter 11 for Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the disciples. Um, this is one of those unusual passages in Scripture where Jesus purposefully delays in doing what he could have done, and he works in a very different way to bring about a better result and to bring about more glory to God. Um, This is the seventh of the seven miracles in John's Gospel. You'll remember I told you at the beginning of this series that John's Gospel can be divided as the Book of Signs, and the book of glory and this is the last of those seven signs and it is the greatest of the signs remember Jesus has done a number of miracles that John has highlighted and they're all sort of different in nature the first miracle was the turning of the water to wine a simple changing of nature itself to show that he had come to bring gospel joy for the souls of his people and this last miracle is his raising the dead who has been dead for four days now you probably know this. There are three accounts of Jesus raising the dead in the Gospels. Uh, the first is the raising of, of the widow's son who had just died when Jesus touches his casket. That's recorded in Luke chapter 7, and he gives her back. And um, Jesus raises three from the dead. This is the third of those. And and you'll notice that John highlights that Lazarus had been dead for four days. There's sort of an exponential increase in what we might consider the difficulty of Jesus raising someone from the dead. And yet there is no difficulty. Jesus has all power and he is the eternal son who has come to do the very thing that we read in this chapter and to give his people resurrection life. Now, I want us to consider four things as we look at this together this morning. I want us to consider first that unexpected delay, and then I want us to consider an uncomfortable test, an unmistakable compassion, and an unusual power. An unexpected delay, an uncomfortable test, an unmistakable compassion, and an unusual Power. We'll notice, as I've already set out, there is, at the beginning of this chapter, an unexpected del- delay. We are introduced for the first time in John's Gospel to this family that Jesus is so close to. These are some of his closest friends during his sojourning here on earth. He had spent many days in the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Um, Martha had provided for him in abundant ways. We're going to learn that Mary had this deep affection for the Lord Jesus. So she is going to pour out that alabaster flask of fragrant oil and wash His feet with her hair. She's going to anoint Him for burial. And we're going to learn from this chapter that Jesus had a great affection for Lazarus. He, he calls Lazarus our friend, Lazarus. Now, let me say this before I say anything else this morning. We can sometimes so fixate on the deity of Jesus that we fail to understand the intimacy and the friendship of the man Christ Jesus. Um, we're going to see so many of Jesus' emotions in this chapter. We're going to see so many of his his reactions and, and the inner impulse of his holy soul, but his true humanity breaking out in response to all of the different things going on around the sickness and the death of Lazarus. But but Jesus is intimate friends with these three siblings. And, and that's why this delay, this unexpected delay, ought to strike us as strange. Notice the sisters send to Jesus in verse 3. They say, Lord, he whom you love is sick. Um, now, Jesus' first response in verse 4, sending back to them, he says, this is not unto death. Now, we're going to learn that it is unto death. And that's going to become part of that testing of the sisters. But Jesus is intentionally and unexpectedly delaying for the purpose of the glory of God. Notice, it is for the glory of God, Jesus says, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, the disciples don't understand what's going on. They don't understand why Jesus doesn't just go. They've seen him. Heal the blind and the lame, the deaf, the dumb. They've seen Him give sight to the blind man. Most recently, they've seen the power of Jesus. They know Jesus can do all things. They know that Jesus can heal His friend from this sickness that has brought Him to the brink of death. And yet, Jesus purposefully delays. Now, that may seem harsh to you on face value. Um, I could conceive of a fact where an unbeliever hearing this would say, well, that's not the kind of Savior that I would ever follow. But notice that this unexpected delay is driven by the greatness of the love that Jesus had for them. Notice verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when He heard that Lazarus was ill, He stayed two days longer. He loved them And so He delayed. Eric Alexander has put it this way. He has said, He loved them more than they knew, so He waited longer than they wished. He loved them more than they knew, so He waited and delayed longer than they wished. You see, Jesus loved them so much, He wanted them to see more of the power and the glory that was His by virtue of being the Son of God. Now let me say this before we look at that we can sometimes um, really struggle in our souls to rest in knowing that Jesus loves us. Um, I've heard it put this way. Every unbeliever will say, you know what I believe about God? I believe that God loves me. And yet, uh, the individual that said that said, and yet no unbeliever believes that because no unbeliever looks to the Christ who was crucified out of great love for sinners. And then we can look at something like this and we can see the special love that Jesus has for Mary, and Martha, and Lazarus and we can mistakenly think that He loves them because of something in them. And yet we're going to see their frailty, aren't we? We're going to see their weakness. Um, these are women who love the Savior, who are trusting Him, but their hearts are, are full of mixture of faith and unbelief and that, that is so much our experience. Um, Robert Murray McShane, the great Scottish theologian, he said this, listen to this. He said, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Everyone that is in Christ is beloved by Christ, even weak members. Good news for weak disciples. You may be very apt to say, I am not a Paul or a John or a Mary. I fear Jesus will not care for me. McShane says he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He loves the weakest of those for whom he died, just as a mother loves all her children, even those that are weak and sickly. So Christ cares for those who are weak in the faith, who have many doubts and fears, who have heavy burdens and temptations. Now, if that's not a comfort to us, I don't have much else for you this morning. Jesus loves... Weak believers. And let me say this, some people, many people mistakenly look at John's gospel and they hear John speaking about himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved and they hear, they hear about this in this chapter that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus and, and they mistakenly say Jesus loves certain disciples more than others. That's not true. Because in chapter 18 of this gospel, it's going to say because Jesus loved his own in the world, He loved them to the end. He loves all of His people. Those who are weak in faith. Those who are strong in faith. And here in this chapter, He is loving those who are still weak in faith. And He is doing what He's doing. He is delaying in the way He's delaying in order to increase their faith and their confidence in who He is and what He can do. Now that's wonderful, because when my faith is low, I need to see this kind of Savior. I don't need a Savior. And you don't need a Savior who just tells you to just get comfortable where you are. We need one that loves us more than we know and who oftentimes delays more than we wish so that He could show us more of Himself. That's the kind of Savior we need. And that's the Savior that Jesus is. Well, notice the delay moves very quickly into an uncomfortable test. Now, Martha... Now that Lazarus has died, notice verse 20, Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went and met him and she says to him in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, think about Martha's statement. And Martha is a woman that just kind of lets it all hang out. I feel a lot like Martha. She just shows it all. And and she's frustrated. She's mad with Jesus. Lord, if You'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But what is the mistake Martha's making? Remember the centurion who sent servants to Jesus and then um, Jesus was going to meet him and he said, Lord, I'm not even worthy for You to come under my roof. Just say the word. You don't even have to be bodily present for Your power to be operative in healing my servant. Martha is still so weak in faith, she thinks if Jesus had come and had been present, maybe He could have done something. She doesn't yet understand who the Savior really is and all that the Savior really can do. And so Jesus is doing this to test her. Notice, Jesus says to her, and He's already told her, remember, back in verse 4, He sent back, this sickness does not lead to death. That's part of the test. Because He does die. Jesus is not wrong. He's going to raise him from the dead. But he's already testing her in that first response. Now notice, he again tests her, and he says to her in verse 23, Your brother will rise again. And then notice Martha's lack of a mature faith, and yet it is a real faith, is seen in her response I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. On the last day. Now, that's a pretty profound statement. For any believer to profess when we say the Apostles' Creed together and to say it from the heart, I believe in the resurrection of the dead, is a very profound statement of faith. Most of the religious leaders in Israel, the Sadducees, didn't believe there was a resurrection. Um, And yet, Martha's response is not a sufficiently mature response of faith in Christ because notice what Jesus says to her in verse 25. He says, I am, even now, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, one takeaway that we can take away from this is that it is possible for us to say all the right truths and yet not really to know the One in whom all those truths reside in fullness. It's possible for us to make the confession, I believe in the resurrection of the dead, and yet fail to adequately see that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That we only believe in the resurrection because He is the resurrection. What a statement. Here's a man standing in front of a grieving friend over the death of his beloved friend and he says to her I am the resurrection I am the life what words what heavenly words they are i want to ask you this morning as you consider your own faith do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life do you believe that He has all power in Himself, that He is able to do all things, even conquer death itself. The last great enemy. The Bible calls death the last great enemy. Well, Jesus has delayed. Jesus has now tested. And now we're going to see something of the unmistakable compassion of Christ. Martha has... Finally made the great confession. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. And then she went and called Mary. Now, we don't know why Mary delayed. Remember, Mary was the one that sat at Jesus' feet when Martha was cumbered with serving. But here in this account, Mary has not gone to Jesus. And you, you get a sense that she's despondent. You get a sense that Mary has kind of given up. That actually Martha is exercising more faith than Mary. Mary... who who was the first one to come to saving faith in Christ, has stayed back in the house by herself in despair and in grief, and, and she hasn't gone to the Savior. But now, Martha goes and gets her and says, the teacher is calling for you. And notice verse 29. She heard it. She rose quickly. She went to Him. Now notice her response in verse 32. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You almost get the sense that the sisters were coaching each other on what to say when the Savior came. They say the exact same thing. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And then, well, John doesn't tell us, but notice between verse 32 and 33, she must have just started bursting out in anguish. And and one of the things that we lose in our English translations is the sense that the word weep here in the Greek it, it carries with it more the idea of an uncontrollable wailing i i heard this as i was in the car with my dad when the hospital called to tell him my mom had died i've never heard a wail like that it was this uncontrollable wailing the 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 agony of that last great enemy taking one so beloved the pain it's it's an it's a it's a almost a, an expression of an emotion and an affection that can't be communicated. And, and notice when Jesus saw her weeping, wailing, and the Jews who had come with her weeping, he was, and, and I pointed this out to you, he was deeply moved. He was filled with rage. Now, um, you all know this so well. We're going to see that shortest verse in Scripture, in verse 35, Jesus wept. And we see something of the compassionate heart of Christ here, don't we? That he enters into the grief of Mary over the death of Lazarus. Um, We don't adequately think of Jesus, his compassion, his sympathy, his empathy, the way he, he shares in the sorrows of his people enough. This is, uh, this is where this really burst forth. And yet, and here's the really interesting thing. I was actually talking to Harry Reader about this yesterday, and Harry he said, John Piper disagrees with me on this. Jesus' compassion was driven by anger. I said, I absolutely believe that. His compassion was driven by anger at the effects of death and the evils of death on this fallen world. Isn't that interesting? Jesus' compassion was driven by the rage He had for the way in which this fallen world just brings misery and pain and hurt and loss and suffering. And the Savior enters in to weeping with Mary out of the anger He has. And He comes, and this is beautiful, He's not just going to sit there and weep with her and do nothing. He is driven by that rage to not only weep with her, but to go to the tomb of Lazarus as a conqueror to conquer death. Um, B.B. Warfield, the 19th century theologian from Princeton Seminary wrote this, Jesus approached the grave grave of Lazarus in a state not of uncontrollable grief, but of irrepressible anger. I'm going to read that again. Don't miss that. Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus in a state not of uncontrollable grief, but of irrepressible anger. He did not respond to the spectacle of human sorrow, abandoning itself to unrestrained expression with quiet, sympathetic tears, but the emotion which tore his breast and clamored for utterance was just rage. Righteous anger at death itself and at the sin that brought that death into the world isn't that amazing when the savior looks at the effects of our sin he looks at that sin and the effect with uncontrollable righteous wrath and anger but he then goes as a conqueror out of compassion for his people you see jesus is so complex When we read things online, I've I've often thought about this. So many of the statements people make, theological statements, they are atomistic, they are truncated, they are one-dimensional, and they're imbalanced. And so we're either told Christianity is all charity, all compassion, all niceness, or we're told it's all combating error and being bold and courageous. But when we look at Jesus... The fullness of what it means to be a man is exhibited in him as the incarnate Son of God, so that anger and compassion work together in his conquering of death. He is is so perfectly mature in his humanity, united to his deity, that the Lord Jesus models for us that beautiful, dynamic combination of emotions. In his overthrowing death, well what I want us to see is finally his unusual power. Jesus, we have not seen yet conquer death in this gospel, and um, Jesus will go to the tomb, and he will say, "Notice verse forty, they they tell him, by this time there's a, a odor, and you know if you've read the old King James version, it says, "He stinketh." For he's been dead four days, and Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now, he's not asking her to do anything. He's asking her to trust him to do everything for her. Let let me say this just as an aside this morning. We want to be careful, you know, There are mistaken groups of professing Christians that say it's never God's will for anything bad to happen to you. Jesus delayed in order to let Lazarus die. Jesus is going to raise Lazarus, but Lazarus is going to die again. And so it's not about having enough faith to get Jesus to do what I want him to do. It's about trusting him to do what he came into this world to do. And knowing and believing that He is able to do everything that He says. You see, there's kind of this cumulative thing happening from the delay to His conquering death at the grave. Jesus is building and building and building and building in order for for Mary and Martha to know that He can do everything. That He can conquer death itself. That there is nothing that is going to stop this Jesus. Did I not say, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they now respond in faith. They take away the stone. And Jesus, turning to His Father, said, I thank you that you have always heard Me. I know that you hear Me, but I said this on account of the people standing by, that they may believe that you sent Me. And when He had said this, He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out of the grave. Now, there is... There is a twofold lesson in the resurrection of Lazarus. First, Lazarus serves as an example of men and women and boys and girls who, by nature, are dead in sins and trespasses. Does Lazarus have any ears to hear Jesus' loud voice? No, he's dead. That's what sinners are by nature. You and I, by nature, are dead. Lazarus has no ability to hear Jesus. But Jesus, by a powerful and efficacious voice, calls him from death to life, and that's what Jesus does for sinners. Every time someone is brought from spiritual death to spiritual life, they have undergone what Lazarus underwent physically in the spiritual realm. If you ask me what it means to be a Christian, that's what it means to be a Christian. You know, there are many people that say, Christianity is a crutch for the weak. No, it's a resurrection for the dead. Christianity is not a crutch for the weak. It's a resurrection for men and women who are spiritually dead in sins and trespasses. And yet Christ is so gracious and so powerful that with a word, he brings sinners from spiritual death to spiritual life. He said back in John 10, my sheep hear my voice. And I call them, He said back in John 5, the day is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those that hear will live. And here at the tomb of Lazarus, He's showing us in the physical realm what He came to do in the spiritual realm. And then secondly, He is showing us what He is going to do on the last day in the resurrection of the just. If Jesus could stand at the tomb of Lazarus, who's been dead for four days, he can come back in glory on the last day, and he can call every single man and woman and boy and girl who is savingly united to him, whose bodies are still united to him in the grave, and he can call them back to life, and he is going to do that. Now, how do I know? How do I know that he's going to do that? Because Jesus didn't just raise Lazarus from the dead; He raised Himself from the dead. Um, Harry Reader was telling me yesterday a story about R.C. Sproul. When R.C. was first converted, he had told Harry that he was in a very liberal, uh, very liberal university in, in Pittsburgh, and none of none of his professors believed any of the things we're preaching. They were just total unbelievers, and. Um, he said when R.C. was converted, R.C. went to one of his professors and said, you know, I've, I've been brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. And his professor said, you don't actually believe that Jesus was bodily raised on the third day. And R.C. said, yeah, that's exactly what I believe. That's why I went from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's everything. He is the first fruits. What he does for Lazarus is just a foreshadowing of what he does on the third day, stepping out of the tomb and what he's going to do on the last day. And let me say this this morning. That is what we need more than anything. Because this life is so fraught with emptiness, futility, sorrow, grief, hardship. I read a, I read a statement by a minister who went through every year of the last ten years leading up to this new year on social media the other day, and he talked about all the hardship every year contained. And I I looked back and I thought, I could have written that same list. You know, I'm not going to tell you 2022 is going to be great. It might be way harder than 2020. Get ready. Buckle up. I know you don't want to hear that, but I'm not going to well wish a good year on people when life is so fraught with hardship and loss and suffering and death, you know, um, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon out of Jeremiah 29 on New Year, of, I believe 1761 when he died, and the verse was, this year you will die. And then his predecessor preached that same verse, this year you will die, and he died that year, so I've always sworn I'm not going to preach that verse on New Year's. But I am going to preach about the resurrection because we are going to die and this is not it and Jesus is the resurrection and the life and He has all power and He is going to raise His people on the last day. He's even going to raise unbelievers on the last day to condemnation. He's going to raise everybody. But let me say this this morning. We have a Savior who loves us more than we know. And he oftentimes delays in answering us more than we would like. But he does that so that we would know that he has more power than we realize. So that we would continue trusting him. And that we would hear what he said to Mary. Did I not say to you, if you would believe, you would see the power of God and the glory of God? Now, He says that to us this morning. There's not going to be any miracles here. I'm not raising anybody from the dead. But there is power in Christ crucified and risen for the souls of God's people now and on the last day. And I don't need to know anything about you to know you need that power. And I need that power. And it's all in Christ. And it's all for you if you will believe in Him. John will tell us, I'll leave you with this, at the end of this book he'll say these things were written that you may believe in the Son of God and that believing in Him you might have life in His name. He wants you to believe in Him and have life in His name. When I ask you this morning, are you trusting in this Christ? Um, Are you desiring to know more of His power? Are you crying out for that? Are you saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief? Are you turning to him and looking at what he can do for you? What he did for Lazarus was just a tiny little foretaste of what he can do for us. I hope that as we enter into this new year, this will be a clarion call to us to fix the eyes of our hearts on the Lord Jesus and to know and be assured that he is the resurrection and the life, that he loves us more than we know, and that he does all things so that we would know that he has more power than we could imagine. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we are so weak. Lord, we feel the frailty of our flesh. We feel the mixture of faith and unbelief. And Lord Jesus, we need to see your power and to see the glory of God and So we ask this morning, as we start this new year, that this would be a year in which you show us more of your resurrection power at work in our souls. That we would know more spiritual power at work in us. That you would demonstrate that power in bringing sinners from spiritual death to spiritual life. That you would also assure us of the guarantee of that power at work on the last day in the resurrection, unto glory and so Lord Jesus would you do this for each and every man and woman and boy and girl in this place would you would you do that for us as you did for Mary and Martha we thank you that you even delay oftentimes so that we would continue to call out to you and to listen to you and to fix our eyes on you we pray these things in your name amen